The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. One line and miss, and Mike Fires has thrown his second no-hitter. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back! Hits one out. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From the opener to launch angles to clutch moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Two different home runs that were upsetting people over the weekend. One by Max Muncie and one by Mark Canna. Let's hear, let's first hear the home run by Mark Canna in Texas. The 0-1 pitch. Fastball hit high into left field, and this is a no-doubter. It is gone. Mark Canna, his 10th home run of the season. So that's Mark Canna. Now this one was a bomb. Max Muncie at Oracle Park. And Muncie hammers one to right field. This ball headed over the landing and into McCovey Cove for a home run. Max Muncie with his 13th home run of the season. It is 1-0 Dodgers. And Bumgarner was stalking Muncie going to first and towards second. Home plate umpire Will Little had to come back. Muncie peeked over the left shoulder. Bumgarner threw it. Muncie hit it. And Muncie's letting him know about it. So here you have two pitchers, Adrian Sampson and Madison Baumgartner. Both these guys hit the home run. I mean, it's almost identical. Both these guys hit the home run, looked at it for a second, dropped their bats, took a couple steps, and started running. No major bat flip, no turning around and throwing it to the dugout, no flipping the bat up, no, no nothing. Simply hit it, look at it, take two steps, drop the bat, and go. And then you have two pitchers who are upset by this. And this is, this is the problem that I have, right? When can you? When can't you? Who's cool with it? Who's not? And that's the problem. Fans want to see it. But you have these pitchers that are, are just, they're so hurt if you don't just hit it and start running around the bases as fast as you can like Adam Rosales. I thought Max Muncie had such a great quote after the game as he was talking to Dodger television. They were interviewing him. Here's what he had to say about Madison Bumgarner stalking him. Well, he, uh, you know, I hit the ball, and then he yelled at me. He said, don't watch the ball. You run. Um, and I just responded back, uh, you know, if you, want, if you don't want me to watch the ball, you can go get it out of the ocean. <laughs> Did you uh, like the fact that you are now the next chapter in this Giants-Dodgers rivalry? And I believe that you did ask him to run the bases with you, no? Uh, uh, you know, he just he kept mouthing off. I told him to come, you know, come get it. But, uh, um, you know, he's a competitor. He was just fired up about it. Uh, um, you know, I don't. I definitely hope this doesn't turn into a Puig thing because I don't want that on my shoulders. But, uh, uh, you know, it's just, uh, just him competing out there and, uh, um, you know, he was upset he made a bad pitch, and um, that's all there was to it. Yeah, go get it out of the ocean. I love that. And then, of course, bitter giant fan. It's not the ocean. It's the bay. It's salt water. Stop it. 
It's coming in from the ocean. It was a great quote. Everybody wants to defend Mad Bum. This act is so tired. And then to have the former Giants start getting on Twitter saying, oh, you don't want any of Mad Bum. He would go out. Hey, I've Mad Bum may be the tough guy that everybody says he is, like Jeremy Affeld. I think at, so he does, at Max Muncy 9, might not want to ask Bum to come get him. I'm pretty sure it would it would be a bad ending for Max. My old partner, Aubrey Huff, gets into it. All I know is this. Everybody says he's the biggest tough guy in the world. Like Adrian Sampson, I don't even, who is he? His quote is, if it bothered him, it sure did. I'm not going to lie. There's no place for that in this game. Just disrespectful when he takes his time like that. I'll let him know. I mean, who are you? Let's be honest. I mean, at least Bugmutter has the track record. But are these guys all just going to get mad and want to fight after every single time they give up a home run? We're having record home runs hit year after year after year. You have the ability to play the game your way. And Mad Bum was a total hypocrite after the game where he said, hey, that's fine for them to do what they want to do, but I need to be allowed to do it the way I want to do it. Well, wait a minute. You got mad because he did it the way he wanted to do it. That's why this whole thing started. If you're okay with these guys doing it the way they want to do it, why do you keep challenging guys when they hit home runs off you? And when are you going to throw a punch? When are you actually going to throw down the glove and go challenge a guy instead of barking at a guy? Until you do that, you are a fake tough guy. And all your teammates can talk about how tough you are, but until you actually throw down the glove and actually actually throw some throw a fist, all you've been your entire career is all talk. And that's been a great career. And I don't doubt, because I know Aubrey, and he's told me stories, I don't doubt that Bumgarner is not a country strong fight anybody type of guy but it's all words but is this is, is is this what's good for the game i mean hell you want to get like hockey that that night you want to talk about interesting that'd be interesting everybody stay away nobody no you, you two want to go after it for a little bit and the first guy that falls down they'll, they'll they'll stop it like in hockey all right you guys want to go that way Because to me, I know the majority of these guys are the biggest fake tough guys. you got to realize so many of these professional athletes, these guys have gotten their you-know-what kiss their entire life. That's why I've always laughed at, like, the NBA. These NBA guys. These NBA guys grew up there so much taller than everybody else. No one challenged them. These guys don't know how to fight. It was in Barkley. Barkley and Shaq went after each other. Shaq had the biggest telegraphed punch that wouldn't have hit anybody and Barkley just ducked and they grabbed each other and rolled on the ground. Most of these guys have not been in a fight in so long. Plus, why would you? What is the point? You want to break your hand? How do you win that? You really, I mean, how how about all these pitchers that have just been morons over the years who come in after getting roughed up and they punch the dugout? Remember our friend Drew Pomeranz? And you break your hand. And then all of a sudden, you can't play. It's just absolutely ridiculous. I don't know. And I've been trying to say this for a long time. Fans are cool with it. 
You're going to have a lot of media people who are cool with it, but not everybody's going to be cool with, 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 with bat flipping and styling it and profiling it and, and, and watching it. Some pitchers are just not, I mean, it's, it's, you have to realize if you're going to do it, you could get thrown at. That's just a reality. Whether you think it's right or it's wrong, you can say, oh, these guys are no fun. Yeah, you're right. They are no fun because there's no rules about it. There's no rules what you can do after you hit a home run. There's no rules what a pitcher can do or how can he hot dog it after he strikes you out. I mean, we all love Dennis Eckersley. Was there a bigger hot dog than him on the mound pointing at everybody he struck out? That took him to the Hall of Fame. It's like we need that. We need some guidelines here. I want to play Chris Russo. Chris Russo, who is a huge Giants fan, even he, Chris Russo, Mad Dog Radio, MLB Network, even Chris Russo is tired of Mad Bum's act. I'm Madison Bumgarner, okay, folks? I am sick of it. This is absolutely absurd that he has a, a conniption when somebody, you know, hits a line drive somewhere or, God forbid, hit a ball out of a ballpark and look at it for a half a second too long. This is Mac Mun Max Muncy. This is not that big a deal. He hit a big home run. He's allowed to get excited. And I got Madison Bumgarner with that hot temper is telling Max Muncy what he should do. What is he, Christy Matheson all of a sudden? Sandy Kovacs? Whether it's Puig, whoever it might be, I am so sick of Madison Bumgarner picking fights with everybody knowing the man. He's not, he's not even a Hall of Fame pitcher yet. I mean, now you got to calm down. It drives you crazy. And I thought Muncie had a very nice explanation. And you tell me if Muncie sounds like a bad kid when you see this little post game yesterday on the field after the Dodgers beat the Giants 1-0 in Bumgarner. Listen up. I hit the ball, and then he yelled at me. He said, don't watch the ball. You run. Um, and I just responded back, uh, you know, if you, want, if you don't want me to watch the ball, you can go get it out of the ocean. Uh, you know, he just he kept mouthing off. I told him to come, you know. Come get it, but uh, um, you know he's a competitor. He was just fired up about it. Uh, um, you know, I don't. I definitely hope this doesn't turn into a Puig thing because I don't want that on my shoulders. But uh, uh, you know, it's just uh, just him competing out there, and uh, um, you know, he, he was upset. He made a bad pitch, and, um, and that's all there was to it. Nice job by Muncy. He handled that beautifully. And Bumgarner is just driving me crazy. You gotta calm down. All right, enough. All right, that you that somehow it's a. It's an insult if you give up a home run. You are not that good, all right? I'm sorry. I mean, I know World Series, I get it. If your career ended today, you're not going to the Hall of Fame. You're not that good. Drives you crazy. And he now joins us, Matt Vaskersian. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, Chris, you got it. Good talking to you. Yeah, this is what, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on early is we've created something that nobody else in baseball is doing. And you know all about the A's and innovation as a big-time A's fan is we are the only team allowed to have a 24-7 streaming station that's just about the A's. Then we created this live show for the TuneIn app on A's cast. So what we're doing is pretty historic and i really believe as i've talked to a lot of different baseball teams and they're asking me like how are you guys doing this i think in the future every single team is going to be doing what we're doing but as you know the a's we always got to be first <laughs> i love that about the a's love that about what you're doing here and i would agree that in a copycat league and a copycat business pro sports baseball certainly everybody's going to fall in line and do this and who knows maybe we'll even get to a place where 
you know, that's the official and exclusive place to tune into a game uh, at some point. But for now, it's super cool that the A's have uh, a 24-hour outlet like yours. So when you think about your fandom with the A's, obviously it's very tough on the East Coast because our games are late. But was it like working at the MLB Network and, and you're a big-time A's fan? You know, I, I've, uh, I, I've put it out there for such a long time that um, anytime there's like an A's thread to a story or, you know, Matt Chapman hits in 20 in a row or Chris Davis goes three straight with a, with a two-run home or whatever it might be, it's always, oh, you're A's, Vaskersian. <laughs> and, and I'm proud of that. Uh, you, you're right in that the only hard part about it is that games start at, you know, 10, 10 Eastern time when I'm getting ready to hit the rack. Uh, but on the occasion that I'm up and lucid, which is sometimes, just the fact that we have this technology and that I can watch an A's game on any device, uh, regardless of where I might be, is the kind of thing that if you had suggested that to me when I was a kid growing up in the East Bay, dying for product, just waiting for the time that I could you know, turn on the radio and get the game because it was the only place to stay involved. If you had suggested that this kind of thing would have been available to former me in 1976 or whatever, I'd have, I'd have thought I was dead and gone to heaven. I mean, it's the greatest thing. There's no excuse to not keep up with your favorite team, to have a part of the dialogue. I mean, I, one of the things I do when I get to MLB Network in the morning uh, and begin a shift is I get onto .com and vote for the A's to represent at the all-star team. And it's, that's a, that's a uphill battle as we know as A's fans, but uh, it's cool. This technology allows your fandom to be uh, everywhere. So I'm sitting here in the press box at Tropicana field and I look at the A's, I look at the Rays, I look at how they're built. I look at their issues with stadiums. It's like these two teams mirror each other, like no other teams. Yeah, really true. Uh, you know, and it starts with the fact that they just have to go about their business a little smarter than everybody else because of the limitations they have in terms of market size, resource, ballpark, all the things we know to be true. The Rays, to me, have really hit uh, home runs this year with a couple of things. And this is, again, the A's are very much active and trying to do the same thing. But the deal they made with the Pirates to bring in Tyler Glass now and Austin Meadows uh, might go down as a Lou Brock for Ernie Brolio type heist that we talk about uh, in a historic sense down the road. Those, I mean, you've got a guy, Glass now, before he got hurt was, and it was early, but he was in the Cy Young talk. Uh, you've got Austin Meadows, who is absolutely in the MVP discussion now. Nothing against Chris Archer, but... That's two super duper stars that aren't being uh, aren't garnering a lot of money for a guy who's perhaps already had his best spurt as a big leaguer, uh, and the A's do a lot of that same stuff. You know, the, the the free agent signing of Charlie Morton. The A's have hit gold with with free agent signings and the pitching staff before. Last year was the greatest example of all. So you're right. There are parallels there. Uh, it's easy to root for both of those teams, even though. Uh, the powers that be and, you know, the big media monsters always want the Red Sox and Yankees to square off. Uh, for me, give me A's and Rays because I just love how they have to work. Entering Monday, we're on pace for 6,514 home runs. That's nearly 1,000 more than last year. The record was obviously in 2017. That's going to blow by that by almost 500. 
What is your take on all the balls flying out of the yard these days? Well, I mean, the narrative, uh, you know, the conventional wisdom is that there's something going on with the baseball. And I'm not qualified enough to make that determination. The one piece of evidence that I can point to that would kind of back that philosophy is that now that they're using the major league ball in triple a all the triple a homers are up too so i mean that's a that's a coincidence that's it's too vivid to ignore and i am not a scandal theory guy all these people with their you know their hot take oliver stone oh this is a fix this is a scam this is a i I don't buy into all that but it is hard to ignore these numbers that home runs are way up and home runs at triple a are up and the balls for the first time are the same and speaking of home runs, we had a couple dust-ups over the weekend. The A's with Sampson and Canna. Sampson didn't like that Canna watched it for just a little bit. It was pretty ridiculous. And then, of course, the one that everybody's talking about, Masson Bumgarner and Max Muncy. Where are you on the old school versus new school? Bat flip, pitchers don't like it. What's your view on it? What's your the view by your colleagues on it? You know, I think most of the guys that work here at MLB Network, former players, um, and there are some exceptions, but most guys feel like, look, we have to kind of change our sensibilities about the unwritten rules. And the mixed messages that we get from Major League Baseball, uh, on one sense, on one hand, you've got the whole let the kids play camp, where, you know, pimping a home run, flipping a bat, putting your hat on backwards, whatever you want to do is fine. And then you've got the other side of the fence that feels like adhere to the older policies, play the game the way it's meant to be played, respect it, uh, keep your head down, better be seen and not heard. There's that. I think more people are falling in line with the let the kids play camp. And for me, I think it just, you can't put a blanket statement on it. It's got to be looked at in individual doses. If somebody pimps a home run in a lopsided game and it's so egregious and so outlandish, um, then, yeah, I, I don't like that. But if it's an emotional moment, if the game's on the line, if it comes against an opponent that that player has struggled against, uh, then, yeah, do it. I mean, I, the Muncie thing for me is a great example of, of where nobody's wrong. Muncie hits this monstrous shot into McCovey Cove. He flips the bat. He does a little dance out of the box. Uh, that's okay by me. Bumgarner yells at him all the way around the bases. That's okay by me, too. And Bumgarner's line I thought was perfect. He said, look, if you're going to endorse a a hitter, a player, quote-unquote, being himself, let me be myself and let me bark back. I love that. Where where I take exception is if Max Muncy digs in the next time against uh, Madison Bumgarner and gets hit in the wrist and breaks a bone, then I've got a huge problem with that. Just because he took you deep doesn't mean you need to retaliate. I think that that incident is a perfect microcosm as to the many different complexities with, with this issue. You know, I think about your career and all of the play-by-play you have done and the sports that you have covered. So when you think Sunday night baseball, great to have you on there. I love watching it. You have your work in the NFL. You've done the Olympics. For you as a broadcaster, what's been the best one for you to cover? It's, it's baseball for me. I mean, this was this is my, my love. And I always kind of litmus test it this way for people um, – younger broadcasters or you know people that that know uh a little about a lot as opposed to people that know a lot about a little 
I always say, look, it, worst case scenario, and you're doing a game, baseball, football, basketball, whatever, or you're hosting a studio show, and everything around you blows up. The power goes out. Uh, your analysts are stricken with laryngitis, and nothing else works except you have to talk. How long could you go? How long can you segue yourself into the next discussion in any given sport? And for me, um, you know, and this is the, what the answer should be for everybody, it's you should, you should be loaded enough to where you never stop. You should be loaded up with information and talking points to where it comes naturally enough to where you can keep going forever until they tell you shut up. And for me, there's only one game that I can do that, and that's baseball. As much as I love football, as much as I love basketball, um, baseball for me is the game, and I'm, I'm pretty lucky to be, to be doing the one that I'm doing and the one that I love the most. And let's end on this. I know you're a big uniform guy. And one of the cool things about our organization is the uniforms through the years. From when you were a kid, and I, you know, I always talked to Ray Fossey about this, to, to where Charlie Finley and had all those different uniforms and to where we are today. There really is nothing better than the green and gold with the Oakland Athletics. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, we could, we could. Have, this is a great discussion. Like, I did not love what they did in the uh, mid '80s with the athletics script and the white on white. I didn't love it because I like A's. For me, is it's A's. I, I like referring to the team as the A's as, as opposed to the athletics, and that's just a personal silly thing. But the the uniforms that the A's wore in, I think, '75. 75 and 76 one of the combinations it was the kelly green top i loved that one for me that was the one dick green and claudio washington and bill north and some of the survivors of uh the early free agent defectors uh in the in the finley days that was my favorite uniform top. i'm looking right now at a dick williams and reggie jackson bobblehead i have in my <laughs> office and they've got the green kelly green top on I love those. Uh, not to mention, here's a sleeper. The What the A's wore, and I think it was the 71 All-Star game at Tiger Stadium when Reggie hit the light tower, I think the A's wore the yellow-yellow combination. That one, I just, I like the color, man. More, more Kelly Green and yellow for me. There was a game, I don't remember what year it was, the Pirates were in town, and it was a throwback game, and Monty Moore brought his dinger bell, and it was it, the A's were all yellow. It was it was the gold top, gold pants, and the Pirates went all black, old school with the piping around the hat. Really, one of the greatest uniform games I've ever seen. Oh, that's fantastic. That's worth digging up. Yeah, that exact. I couldn't agree more. The the, the cake box hat that the Pirates wore was great, and for me, yeah, it, we're talking about the A's. The Kelly Green was my favorite with the A's instead of Oakland. Well, you, you talk about being able to talk for a long time. I could talk to you all day. I'm a big fan. I love the network, love your work on ESPN and in the NFL. We appreciate it. And, and since you're such a big A's fan, you know we're going to have to have you back again. Would love to. Talk A's anytime. It's one of the few things I'm actually qualified to talk about. So uh, <laughs> look forward to it, Chris. Hey, you take care. Okay, man. Thanks. All right, his first book was Big Data Baseball, Math Miracles and the End of a 20-Year Losing Streak. Of course, that is a book that is about the Pittsburgh Pirates. Went 20 years being under 500, and now he is the co-author of The MVP Machine, how baseball's new nonconformists are using data to build better players. Travis, I want to thank you for taking the time, and I can't wait to read this book. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be with you. 
So when I, I, you know, we were just in in Tampa Bay, and I was with the A's, and you know, two of the you know more analytical franchises. It is so interesting to watch these teams that are not spending a lot of money but can continue to compete with the big boys in their sport. Yeah, and we all know uh, 16 years ago, as Michael Lewis chronicled, the A's changed baseball and how front offices are comprised and how teams think about uh, evaluating what's important on the baseball field with the Moneyball era. And every team has some sort of Moneyball-like thinking or component to its front office. But in today's game, with that uh, market inefficiency gone, that competitive advantage gone, teams and individual players have to look elsewhere for advantages. And Ben Lindbergh, uh, my co-author, and I argue that it is in player development where the advantage is in today's game, and it's the start of the next thing after Moneyball is this era of elevating skill levels and talent levels and rethinking what players' individual ceilings are and uh, major league teams trying to take this idea to scale throughout their system, like the Astros have done so well, like uh, the Tampa Bay Rays and some other, some other clubs are doing really well. So we argue that this is the next big thing in baseball, and that's that's what our new book focuses on. Is player development is the new market inefficiency in baseball. There's no question. It is so real, and it'll tie into golf. As I was down at Pebble Beach today for the U.S. Open, and I remember having this conversation with my brother, who's a teaching professional in San Diego. And my brother used to test for Titleist in the early 90s using TrackMan. And it's like, baseball, oh, wow. it's like baseball is kind of, well, you know, TrackMan was built to really show you the golf ball goes farther, the clubs are there, because they were trying to sell equipment. They weren't trying to make, ba- they weren't trying to make players better. They were trying to make money. And it's interesting how finally baseball has caught on board when we have all these high-tech cameras, we have radar, we have TrackMan. And as you mentioned, the Houston Astros, and I was talking about this earlier, they can look at a guy like Justin Verlander and they can say, hey, Verlander in Detroit, you know what? Verlander, if we get him here with what we have, we can make him better. Talk about how the Astros have been so good at that. They'll take your guys and turn them into better baseball players. Right. We argue that they are the vanguard of this. They're the model of player development and getting more out of players. And Verlander is a great example. Garrett Cole is another good example. Ryan Presley in their bullpen, another great example. They bring in all these pitchers, and they show them not just what pitches are more effective and where they should throw them, but they also have all this high-speed, slow-motion video that they capture, and they showed Verlander how to adjust a slider grip to throw his most efficient, best-breaking slider. Uh, Same thing with Garrett Cole, Charlie Morton. All these guys have the data, the video, the combination of these factors, uh, and it goes throughout their system. With most teams, we're just kind of experimenting with high-speed cameras this spring, uh, the Edutronic high-speed camera, which is sort of like TrackMan. It wasn't designed for baseball, but Trevor Bauer famously purchased the first Edutronic camera to help develop his two-seamer five years ago, and the Astros were the first team to really invest in these cameras. And so as most teams invested in their first this offseason, the Astros had 75 of these cameras hard-mounted throughout their minor league system at their major league ballpark, and they were capturing video, this high-res, slow-motion video on every major every major league pitch grip, a lot of minor league pitch grips and biomechanical movements. And they were using the using this data in part to learn the best pitch grips, to learn the best movements of the pitcher and hitter, uh, to look at bat paths, along with pitch tracking data, track man that you mentioned. And they're using all this information to teach better. 
Uh, they've hired more like-minded coaches. A few years ago, they essentially fired every traditional-minded pitching coach in the organization and replaced them with younger, often college coaches who are in line with the front office's vision. And what we see is that the Astros, it's not just the major league, major league level. If you look at their system from rookie ball to triple A last year, they led the minors at their affiliates in strikeout rate and spin rate on pitches. Uh, launch angle, they were leading in all these desirable characteristics, and they've created this conveyor belt of sorts, this sustainable machine, because they're buying in to the idea, this growth mindset, that your skill level and talent level is not fixed. There are better ideas, better tech, better data to build better baseball players. Is this the type of stuff that's in the book? It absolutely is. We have a whole chapter dedicated to the Astros. Uh, and if you mentioned the Rays, you look at what they did with uh, Tyler Glass now before he had the injury this year, Austin Meadows, Yandy Diaz. They're taking all these guys in and getting more out of them. And I, the A's have success stories, too, of getting more out of players. And But the Astros, we argue, are the vanguard of this, and teams are trying to catch up. Yeah, that's why I, I, I am very interested in reading your book. And you know that the, the people who are listening to us right now are going to be very interested because – as as you mentioned, Moneyball, but this is taking Moneyball to a whole new level. The book is called The MVP Machine, How Baseball's New Nonconformists Are Using Data to Build Better Players. And what just shows you how sometimes baseball is so archaic, Travis, is that we had college baseball teams using this kind of information and high-tech cameras and radar before big league teams were using it. <laughs> That's right. Uh, one of the parts I love about this story is that this isn't a top-down driven story like Moneyball was, where there, you know, Billy Bean has this vision of how things should be done, and he forces it down the throats of the whole, entire organization. And, you know, while he's right, it was very top-down driven, where our story is bottom-up. A lot of the best ideas and a lot of this tech started at the college level, the amateur ranks, or at independent facilities like uh, Craig Wallenbach's Craig Wallenbrock's hitting facility, Doug Lada's hitting facility in Los Angeles, driveline baseball in Seattle, all these places outside the pro game. A lot of these ideas have trickled up. Uh, Derek Falvey, who is now the Twins GM, he was in Cleveland. He was an assistant in Cleveland before he took over the Twins job. And he would go to college coaching clinics. He was the first executive to show up at these things because he was in search of new ideas. The pro game is very closed where each major league organization was kind of like its individual fortress or silo and no one wanted to share ideas. They looked at each other's competitors, which they were, but Falvey found the college game to be much more open. And he was fascinated by these ideas, uh, how coaches were using weighted balls and high speed cameras and building their own contraptions to try to make players better. Uh, Wes Johnson was one of these coaches he was fascinated with and he hired Wes Johnson to, to be the twins pitching coach this year the first uh, direct college to major league jump uh, as a coach or manager to be done in 40 years, uh, which speaks and highlights how this is changing. Driveline Baseball had eight uh, employees hired by major league organizations this offseason. As we were reporting the book, we had to keep updating all these guys being hired <laughs> by pro teams in search about these ideas. So that's a really cool component. Teams like Missouri, Iowa, North Carolina were ahead of most pro teams and developmental practices, which is crazy to think about. But that's how far behind pro baseball has become. It's just so unbelievable to me. I, I, it's just when I think about it, and I, and I don't like to bag on my sport because I love my sport, but it just shows you. And that's why we call this adapt or die, and we take the uh, – 
we, we take from Moneyball where Billy Bean in Moneyball, Brad Pitt says, well, here, we're going to play it for you. This is what this is what we do right here, and this is, uh, y- you'll like this. This is from the movie Moneyball. It's time for Adapt to Die on A's Cast Live. You don't put a team together with a computer, Billy. <laughs> I love that. And that's yeah, and, and Billy Bean said it, adapt or die, and a lot of people in baseball. I mean, think about how long ago Moneyball was. And I remember being here in the Bay Area, and I know Billy well. It, it, it changed not only baseball, but it changed all the other teams and all the other sports because everybody started making their employees read it. And then businesses got a hold of it because the book was so popular and the movie was so popular. And then people in other businesses, other lines of work, started making their employees read it. It's like, how are we not trying to get better? Why are we trying to block what, what can make our sport, our business better? Yeah, it's it's amazing, and you still hear people complain about analytics and data in sport too, which is really remarkable because we're 16 years out from that book being published, and all the information is. And I hear people complain about launch angle and spin rate, uh, like it's difficult to grasp, and maybe it's more on broadcasters and media to make it more digestible. But you know, Babe Ruth had a launch angle, and it was pretty. It was a good launch angle. It's something people some people complain about today. Walter Johnson had a spin rate. Bob Feller had a spin rate. It's just that today we can measure them. We have the technology to measure this stuff. TrackMan uh, came online in 2015 in all the major league stadiums with StatCast and Rapsodo is an important mobile pitch tracking device that we see in batting practice now in uh, minor league bullpens. I, I just was a double A game and in Akron here in Ohio last week, and the Phillies brought out the Rapsodo unit for batting practice to measure the exit velocity and spin rate of what their hitters were doing. Were doing the same, and they brought it out to the bullpen. And you combine the Rapsodo uh, with the Edutronic camera, and you have the most powerful Rosetta Stone in sport today, I'd argue right now, when it comes to pitch design. Uh, and the Rapsodo is a little different than TrackMan because it gives you the spin axis of a pitch. And what is a pitch? It does three things. It's a velocity it is a spin rate and it is a spin axis. And if you can understand how to create the spin axis you want with your grip and wrist location, you can create any pitch you want. And we followed Trevor Bauer's development of his slider last year, which he didn't have after the 2017 season. He wanted to build one. And he used the edutronic camera to see exactly how his fingers were imparting spin on the ball and influencing the spin axis last winter. And he created uh, one of the best sliders in baseball last year. It's become even better this year. It leads all major league sliders and horizontal or, you know, that side to side movement. And he just used the camera and Rapsoda to do this. It's, uh, does he have some special physical qualities? He argues he doesn't. Could everyone do this? Perhaps not, but more pitchers could. And it'll be fascinating to see if there's a critical mass that develops one day where more pitchers are learning how to create better, more efficient breaking balls. And what that means for hitters, it's going to become harder to hit. Travis Shawchick, you can read him at 538, but also you can read the book. He's a co-author of The MVP Machine, How Baseball's New Nonconformists Are Using Data to Build Better Players. So you're saying this is the new wave. How do you make your players better? How do you get other people's players and make them better? Let's take it a step further is the next big wave is getting this all this kind of data on minor league players and college players to where it helps you elevate guys through your minor league system and also who to draft. 
Yeah, it's like the teams like the Astros that have done it the best to date of taking this to scale throughout their entire system and getting more out of guys. And, uh, you know, whether it's you look at a guy like Josh James last year, who's not on any prospect radars to begin the season, and he ends up in their bullpen at the end of the year throwing 100 miles an hour with a wipeout slider and changeup. It's like, where did this guy come from? Uh, Kyle Tucker's another guy they're getting a lot out of. You just look at their system. They don't just have a great major league team. They have a great minor league team. They haven't been drafting that high lately, and they even blew some top picks like the Mark Appel pick, but they're getting more out of the players they draft. Uh, and at the college ranks, we're seeing, as we mentioned earlier, there are some colleges that are doing this very well, but we're going to see more and more that are doing it very well. And what's what's interesting is we'll see more, what I predict we'll see, is more amateur players come to the pro game with better skills, with better talent levels, and they'll uh, they'll be closer to major league ready. They'll be pushing those that aren't. And I think we'll continue to see the average age of major league players decline. And that has you know a lot of ramifications as far as what that means for free agency and other things. But I think we're going to see more and more uh, younger players, with higher skill levels. And, uh, you know, that's, that's an interesting kind of ramification and side effect of this movement. Well, uh, Travis, as you mentioned it, we're seeing it as we speak where the top players in baseball – are all under 30, and no one wants to pay guys that are over 30, and that is a problem with the upcoming CBA. But the good news is for baseball is that the majority of these guys that are under 30 have signed some type of extension, so they're going to want to play versus some type of labor stoppage. But, yeah, that's the thing. It's like younger players are going to be better, and that's going to be death for the older players uh, the game is changing. You adapt or die, as Billy Bean once said. That's exactly right. And we argue it's never changed so quickly. And we quantify uh, in the book, uh, we make an argument, and we prove it through some statistics that the average talent level of the game has always you know, slowly increased decade to decade, year by year, typically. But it's that has exploded. It's growing exponentially now because of, in part, this movement and skill development. And we're going to see the talent level continue to increase, uh, just as we've seen pitching velocity continue to continue to spike year after year. Uh, we're going to see better breaking balls. We're going to see hitters with more optimized swings. I mean, what happens when the J.D. Martinez and Justin Turner basically lost major league jobs when they decided to reinvent themselves? They were not the best athletes on the field. They reinvented their swings. They got on board with the modern swing plane and uh, you know, worked with outside instructors. What happens when the best athletes begin to practice and train in these ways? Well, you get a guy like Mookie Betts last year who went on to win the AL MVP. So it's interesting. Uh, this has all sorts of ramifications, and it's, it's really exciting, but it, it leaves some questions too. Like If everyone optimizes their skill sets, that means more strikeouts, more home runs, uh, less, fewer balls in play. And, you know, I have a four-year-old son, and is this going to be the kind of game that is attractive to, you know, a casual young fan where the ball is never put in play? Are you going to want to watch that on TV? I don't know. From It might not be great for the fan experience, and that's something we also explore in the book. And a big problem, and everybody's starting to get on board, is not only are players getting better and changing how they play, a lot of people in this game think there's a juiced ball effect too. So if everybody's getting better and everybody's throwing harder and everybody's hitting the ball further and the ball is juiced, I agree. I don't think that's a good thing. I think Major League Baseball really needs to look into the baseball. What do you think? 
Yeah, there's been some really fascinating research, and there's a lot of players who anecdotally believe there's something different, whether it is the lowered seams or the the ball is slightly smaller, the core principles. Uh, yeah, it sure seems like there's something going on, in addition to more hitters lifting the ball in the air. And, you know, Josh Donaldson, another former A, who was another one of these early adopters of the modern swing plane, uh, if you have a juice ball, you have more hitters getting the ball in the air, and Major League Launch Angle has increased every year Stackhouse has been around. It's a recipe for a lot of home runs, and ballparks have also gotten smaller too, and guys are going to continue to get bigger and stronger, you'd think. So, yeah, it's another uh, it's another conundrum for the game. And what's interesting, I'll be fascinated to see this partnership Major League Baseball has with the Independent Atlantic League that they've begun this year and next year they're going to move the mound back to 62 feet at midseason and see what that see what that means for uh, the style of play. I think the idea is to kind of combat velocity games and what would that mean for major league play and getting the ball in play. So, if we look at baseball as a living document, we might have to be okay with some rule changes down the road to to combat this optimization of the game and the things we document in the book. Really, they're going to move the mound back in the in, in the experimental league. They are, and it's, it's going to be really fun to see what see what that means. But, yeah, next summer in the Atlantic League, they're going to move the pitching mound back to 62 feet and 6 inches. And uh, you know, that should give hitters more reaction time, but there's a counterargument that, well, that's just going to mean that sliders slide more and curveballs break more, and it's going to be even harder to hit breaking balls. So it's going to be fascinating to see what that means for strikeout rate and balls in play and all sorts of things. You just blew my mind. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to follow that. And, you know, it's in part to response to what we're seeing with the strikeouts and the home runs and the velocity and guys getting better and better and better. Uh, yeah, and it's, yeah, it's, it's not just baseball. You watch Jeopardy, and Jeopardy James ruins the game because he optimizes it. So are they going to – it's uh, the spelling bee. There's like eight kids that tie for a championship because they ran out of words this year. So it's not just baseball where skill it, skill levels are enhanced and being optimized, but it's the game we love and that we cover, and we think we're in the midst of something, a really big movement and revolution in the sport. Hey, we, we got the Golden State Warriors. You know, we, we have learned that taking a three is better than taking a two. I mean, everything, every sport is changing in front of us. I cannot wait to read this book, so please send us a couple copies. That would be incredible. We'd love to give it out to our audience. Once again, the book is The MVP Machine, How Baseball's New Nonconformance nonconformists are using data to build better players. Travis, we've got to have you on again. Thank you so much for the time. This was great. Thank you. Marcus Simeon is with us here on A's Cast Live. Thank you for coming over. We always appreciate your time. Well, right now for you, I was looking it up. you got a career-high 10-game hitting streak. You're hitting 386 during that time, five extra base hits, nine RBIs. You're recently the American League Player of the Week. Just what's going so good for you at the plate right now? Well, I think I'm just uh, catching up to the fastball. You know, that's you know, there's a lot of velocity in this game now, and if you're not on the fastball, then you're gonna have trouble. Uh, then you feel like you have to cheat on the on the fastball, and then you're early on the breaking ball. So that's that's my main key right now, and just doing my homework on who I'm facing, and uh, it's been you know right on point right now. Yeah, the velocity we're seeing—it's record velocity everywhere in baseball. When did you really start to notice that? Did you start seeing it when you were in a Cal, or was it in the minor leagues? It seems everybody everybody coming out of the bullpen now is throwing 97, 98. Yeah, I think it was um, maybe two, three years ago, actually, just the uh, 
even the starters, you know, they're all throwing hard. Uh, the velocity in the bullpen is, you know, it's unbelievable. So you got to be ready for that fastball. Yeah, because uh, it, 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 the guys that we got coming out of the bullpen, you're seeing them, you're seeing them out shortstop. When you got, you got guys throwing 98, 97, and, and the crazy thing for me is it's just not 98, 97 and straight. You got these guys throwing 97. It's sinking, it's moving, it's cutting. How, I mean, how tough is that as a hitter? It's, it's the toughest time to be a hitter right now because everybody's throwing a two-seam and a four-seam. The four-seam is straight, usually uh, has more life, more ride on it up in the zone. Uh, and then the sinker, is uh, it's running in. If, you're, if it's a righty on righty, it's running in. So as a hitter, you want to know which one you're getting so that you can either get on top of the four-seam or get under the two-seam. But when you don't know which one it is, you're going to have trouble. Yeah, I think about the game in Texas where you had four hits, and that, that was one that impressed me so much because – one of the hits was was a pulled home run, and then three of the hits, including an opposite field home run, went the other way. You were going foul pole to foul pole. Is that when you know you're really feeling it and seeing it, when you're going foul pole to foul pole? Yeah, I mean, that just means that I'm covering the whole plate. You know, I want to stay in the strike zone, but you want to cover the entire plate, 17 inches. Um, if they're throwing you fastballs away, hopefully you can take your base hit to right. If they hang a breaking ball up and in, maybe you can pull it for a home run or a fastball in like, like the one off Lynn, you can pull it for a home run. So that's a good place to be. When I think about you playing every single day, teams don't want people playing every single day. They want you to take a day here and there. What is it, the relationship between you and Bob, that, that, that he allows you to play every day? Well, I think it's just, um, you know, what you do before the game to get yourself ready. And... Um, you know, I'm, I take pride in getting in the weight room and getting my, my work done out during BP um, and just taking care of your body, eating right. Uh, all those things add up to, uh, to me wanting to be out there every day, and I feel good. And uh, when you're out there, you're able to produce. You know, the more you're out there, the more chances you have to produce, and that's why I want to be out there every day. And also to be out there every single day, you've got to be able to play with a little bit of pain. And that was one thing. That we knew from Cal Ripken, Miguel Tejada here ha had a great streak going. There's going to be times where you're banged up, and but you're going to play through it. Yeah, I mean, it, right now I feel great, but you're right. When um, you know whether you go to a city where it's really hot and you you, uh, you need to hydrate more or whatever, uh, or you just feel tired from that heat, uh, we're lucky to play here where it's cool. So your body you, your body may be a little colder, but you you're not going to. Uh, exert as much energy in the cool yeah especially like a road trip speaking to that playing in other places texas it's going to be hot you have to deal with the humidity and then you got to go to tampa well you're indoors but now you're playing on the turf and that's not easy on your legs so talk about when you go on the road and how you manage your body because certain places are really tough on you yeah i think uh the turf is worse on outfielders honestly just because you're standing in that turf they probably have concrete right under the turf or whatever it is. But for me, I, d I stay in the dirt. So it's not as bad when you go to Toronto or, um, you know, Tampa. So uh, I felt great out there. You know, one thing that, that gets me, you know, as, as we keep score for every single game, is Marcus Simeon will be out in right field, and you get a ground ball into right field, and we have to have put it as a, a shortstop put out. It's mm -hmm. like, wait a minute, he's out in right field. When you started really doing the shifts – was it very odd that all of a sudden now you're playing on the grass and right field? And I mean, what is that like for you? Yeah, it's a little, it's a little odd. Sometimes the, the grass snakes on you a little bit. Uh, you get a little tougher hop. Uh, I've had a, a couple 
tough ones this year that I haven't made that I was pretty mad about. But it's just, you know, every field's different. So, um, you know, get some tough hops. But I think that last year when Jed was here, we, we made the decision that I would go deep. Chapman would uh, control the left side because he has the most range. And it's been working out. We just kept it that way with uh, now that Profar is here. And then what determines your, for, the, for the certain hitter? So for one hitter, you're going to be out in right field. Another hitter, you're going to come in and actually be like you're a second baseman. What makes that determination to put you out in right field? Uh, double play situation. So if there's a runner on first, I'm, I'm going to stay closer to the bag and turn the double play and Pro's going to stay in the infield. If there's a nobody on or a, a situation where it's not a double play, I'm going to go deep. But most of the time now we've been um, playing straight up with the runner in scoring position because we don't want to get beat on a little ground ball through the left side. Well, that's the thing about Chapman, too, which, you know, noticing just how this game evolves, you know, it, it takes one guy to put down a bunt to all of a sudden make Chapman start to come in a little bit more at, at short, like he's he's a shortstop, but he's playing halfway. I mean, can you talk about the evolution of it, how you, have you, you've watched it change in your career and everybody's doing things differently? Yeah, I think that it, everybody's getting smarter with the shifts now. You're not just shifting no matter what the situation is. You're reading the situation. And you know, Like I said, you don't want to give up a, a bunt hit or a, a soft ground ball with the runner on third, and your pitcher's not going to be happy, but... Um, b before it used to just be straight up or shift. Now we're really trying to do our homework on what's the best situation here to shift or not. Uh, do we want to keep a guy in the ballpark by maybe making him hit a, a, a ground ball to the left side instead of pulling a home run? That's That goes into it too now. Who decides whether you shift or not? Uh, between Matt Williams, the infielders, and uh, Kantrovitz, you know, all, it's all three of those, uh, those people to – Determine it, and for us as infielders, we're out there on the field, and we can see their swing the best, so uh, we can override it whenever we want. Have you seen pitchers pitch differently? Because I, I, in my mind, I'm like, okay, I know my infield behind me is doing this, but my strength is this might be different, right? I mean, I might be throwing something away where a guy can hit it to the other side. Chapman's not there at third base. Have you seen pitchers pitch different when you guys do shift? Uh, honestly, we adjust to them. So um, you might have noticed if Trinan's out there, we're not shifting much because he's throwing 98-mile-an-hour sinkers to a lefty, and they can hit that ball the other way easier. So I'll stay stay home there, uh, maybe with Bookter, a lefty, who good fastball away to a lefty. You don't want to shift there either because they're going to hit. I think Fisher got him once. I, I wasn't shifted, but I wasn't over enough. So there's certain guys you need to adjust to to make sure that uh, their strengths are, you know, we're, we're playing behind their strengths. And this year now we're seeing shifting for right-handed hitters. Yeah, I, I feel like I get shifted um, a decent amount. Um, it's, you know, it's not fun. You, you know, you, you want to be able to just see the, the middle wide open, but sometimes it's not there. Yeah, everybody's taught hit back up the middle. Now there's a guy there, so it's changed. You know, we'll get you out of here, but but wanted to ask you about this. As the A's record through 69 games is 35 and 34. The A's record last year through 69 games was 34 and 35. So very similar where you guys are now, the same place you were last year, and then you guys took off. You got you starting to feel that momentum with the team? I think so. I think we're happy to be home in our home park. Uh, it was a long road trip. 
we actually did pretty well on it, and uh, we were coming off a five-game skid, so I think the momentum is there for us. We've got some reinforcements coming, uh, young pitching. You look at the, the two lefties coming up. Hopefully they're here soon. I can't wait to watch them pitch. Well, you're a class act. We always appreciate it. Good luck right. tonight in this homestand, and uh, keep killing it because right now, um, hey, when you're American League Player of the Week, a lot of things are going good for you, and happy Father's Day to you on Sunday. Oh, I appreciate it. A five-time All-Star. Full-time, four-time gold glove winner. World Series champion in 2001. He led the National League in home runs. He led the National League in RBIs. And now he's doing a great job as the third base coach of your Oakland Athletics. Matt Williams, thank you so much for taking the time. I, we got such a cool setup, and I've wanted yeah. to have you on for a while. This is a very cool setup. You know, you get a chance to interact with all the guys, really. And aren't they fantastic? I mean, they're they're. They're willing to come over and chat for a little while and be part of y your show and be part of this city and this, this great thing we're trying to put together here. Yeah, it, it, it really is a good group, isn't it? It is. That, you, all you ask for as a coach and all that Bob asks for as the manager are willing participants, and they're willing to do whatever it is every day to win. They're willing to work. They're willing to sacrifice themselves for the better of the team. So uh, you can't ask for anything better. You know, I was talking about you on the last uh, road trip where it was in Texas. I saw you go out with the fungo and you're ripping balls down the right field line because it's got that funky right field line. And I'm like, here's somebody who's had such an accomplished career that you've had, but you love to coach yeah. and you love working hard. You've never lost that. No, it's, it's part of it. Uh, you know, the, the, the little things within this game are, are really important. So I, I have to understand as a third base coach, what that ball does when it goes in the corner and evaluate that and the throwing accuracy and arm strength of the guy who's playing out there, the speed of the runner on the base, uh, where we're at in the game, uh, all of those things come into play in a split second. So I, I want to be prepared just like these guys want to be prepared. You know, they go out and they take their batting practice, their ground balls. They, they get themselves physically ready to play every day. I have to do the same thing or I'm not uh, holding up my end of the bargain either. And then you've got to know everybody's arm. You've got to know everybody's arm, left, center, right, the infielder's arms, whether you're going to send a guy to the plate. Like, how much video do you watch? What do you have to do to get prepared to just know everybody's arm strengths? Well, f the first and foremost thing I have to do is, is position our guys and understand that uh, who's pitching for us that night, what the relievers may come in the game, what the tendencies of the other offense is, and adjust accordingly. And then when I get out, at third base, it's understanding the athleticism of, of the outfielders, what their arm strength is, their accuracy, and as you said, who's playing in the middle of the diamond. Because if the ball goes in the gap or if the ball goes down the line, that shortstop or that second baseman is going to handle the ball. So all of that comes into play. So during the course of the day, we have every piece of information that you can possibly want, down to video, down to tendencies, metrics, you name it. It's all there and available for us. So we try to put that all together and make a game plan as we step on the field and let them swing away. But yet you have to make split-second decisions yeah. based on all of that information you just brought up. And it's the closest thing to playing. You know, you, I've managed, and that's great, and I've, I've coached first base, and that's great. But coaching third is the closest thing you can get to, to managing. And, the, and the, the fun part about it is that – you know, I get, to, I get a chance to see the, the look on Chappie's face when he's going first to home. And, and that look is that he's going to do everything that he can possibly do uh, to touch home plate before the ball gets there. And that, that's the fun part of it because they're, they're eager, they're aggressive, they're, they're willing. All of those things 
come into play, and it's, it's fun to be over there and, and interacting with the guys. Chapman's a real special talent. Yeah, I mean, you just think about I mean, he really could play shortstop. Yeah. He's got the incredible arm. He's an incredible athlete. He's so strong and powerful. And I think it's got to be great that you're here, you've been there, you've done that, and that you guys are working together to make him the best he can be. Yeah, I marvel at him. I really do. I, you know, it's, it's one thing to play the position, but the feel that he has for the game, the feel that he has uh, not only uh, on defense but on the bases, um, his feel for what it takes at that particular moment during the course of a game and what we need, it's all there. And, and I, don't, I don't know, you know, we talked about it earlier in the season about, um, you know, what's going to take him to the final level that he needs to get to. Uh, and it, it, we talked about, you know, he made the great play, but sometimes he'd make, make the oops play, right? It would be the normal grounder that, it, that would, the throw would sail high to Ole at first base. We haven't seen much of that this year. So I think he's taken the steps that he needs to take to get to the ultimate level. I don't know if there's anybody better in the game. I watched Arenado for years in the National League, uh, and I can't say that he's any better than Chapman. Who would you compare him to when you played? Well, a couple of guys. Uh, the aggressiveness, um, it reminds me a lot of Ken Caminiti. Uh, Cammy was ultra aggressive, diving all over the place. Um, and as, as I've seen him more and more, the, the power and the speed and the ability to hit the ball over the fence right-handed reminds me a lot of Scott Rowland. Scotty was a little bit bigger. But, I mean, if, if, if you want to be in, in those guys' company, uh, you're, you're a pretty good player, and I think Chappie is. This team got back to its winning ways when the first baseman came back. Yeah. And we know about his power. But what can you say about a guy who's 6'5", with the wingspan, his ability to pick it as good as anybody in the game? And what does that do to make all the other infielders better? Well, it shortens the field. So Chappie on this corner, Ole on the other corner, uh, shortens the field. It, it, it crunches the field a little bit for us because they've got such great range. I mean, for Ole, Ole for me is a heavyweight that moves like a lightweight. Um, his hands are quick. He's got the ability to be accurate with the ball. Uh, we've seen him turn the double plays where he, he'll field the ball, get the ball to second base before Marcus even has a chance to get to the base. So he's leading him on the run, and Marcus is able to catch it, step on second, and return the throw easy to first for that double play. We've seen it a million times. So and he's a heavyweight that work, that moves like a lightweight. And I've been seeing you working with Jerickson Pro Far, and it's yeah. out there that he's had the issues – what are you working on, and where do you where do you want to see him get to? I want him to feel comfortable first and foremost. Um, you know, everybody's talked about it. He knows everybody's talked about it. He knows what has happened. Um, and comfort level and rhythm and timing are really important for him. So we don't overdo it. We, we make sure that we get our work done. We make sure that he feels comfortable going into the game. And, you know, over the course of the last couple of weeks, three weeks, He's turned some double plays nicely. He's, he's getting to the point where he's feeling more comfortable with it. Um, you know, and it, my job in that regard is just to make him feel that he's got his rhythm, that he's got his timing, and he's prepared for that particular game. Marcus Simeon at one point led the league in all of baseball and airs, and now we don't even think about that. Just, just right. he plays every day. He plays hard. He's, got, he's on a career-high hitting streak right now, the American League Player of the Week. He leads by example. What have you seen from Marcus Simeon since you got here? Well, I, I heard things. You know, I, I didn't have, you know, the ability to see it in person for sure, but I heard things. And the first day of spring training when I got a chance to interact with him was that, you know what, that's all done. We're done with that. 
that's all over with. So Marcus is is in a mode right now where he has practical practice. So you'll see him, anybody that comes out to the ballpark early and watches our batting practice, it's one thing to take a grounder. Everybody does that. But Marcus works on every situation that could possibly come up during the course of a game. So he takes his ground balls and flips to second base. That's all standard. But he also plays in the hole and makes sure he has that accurate throw and that feel as if we're playing the shift against Albert Pujols or the other way around. Uh, the fact that he's such a great athlete, we send him from shortstop all the way into right field when we play the shift. So the, those, all those things give our pitching staff and our other players comfort level. And he's accepted that responsibility, and I think he's flourishing. I, I think... You know, I, I think that all that stuff is in the past now, and he's able to fluidly play the game, and we can see what he can do. We talked to Marcus earlier, and he mentioned you talking about all the shifting and when to shift, when not to shift. How has that been for you as someone who sets the defense? It's so different where, you, where baseball is going. It's, it's a different game today, that's for sure. It's a game that uh, you know, defense is at a premium. There's so many balls flying out of the ballpark that you have to get the outs you can get. And so it's part of my job. It's part of my job to evaluate that. I work with the front office in that regard, and, and we set that defense that particular day. That being said, they're willing. Mark, I told Marcus, hey, you gotta, we got to shift this guy. It, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He just, we do it. And so we're all on the same page. We're all on the same end of the rope, pulling as hard as we can to win. And like I said, those willing participants are ultra important. Do you like the record home runs going out right now? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, it's exciting for the game, I guess. Um, you know, it's a little different now because of the, all of the defensive metrics that we have where, you know, that, that ball doesn't bounce up the middle very often anymore. So the guys are trying to lift that ball to, to get a base hit and more balls are flying out. So, it, yeah, I mean, does it, is it great? We're a power hitting club, so it probably fits us pretty well. Can you imagine you hitting with this live ball? I don't know, man. Come I, on. I, 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 Come I, on. I, I just – I used to swing hard in case I hit it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're in Arizona playing with this ball? I don't know. I swung and missed a lot, off a lot, too. Oh, you know. you're really good. You were really good. <laughs> hey, let, I, I have people ask me this, and it's an old-school question. We'll end on this. I remember when I was a kid going to games in the 70s, they took infield every game. You yeah. had the outfield. You know, you throw to second, throw to third, throw to home. Then – Outfielders have come off, and you do all this stuff on the infield. You used to do that in your career. I do. Fans love watching. You know, I remember Dave Winfield, because I grew up in San Diego. Dave Winfield out in right field for the Padres, showing off that arm, right? He right. loved doing it. Yeah. Why don't we not do that anymore? I think, well, I think there's a few issues. One, one, we've pushed batting practice back so far prior to the game that there's really no time. So by the time the Mariners get off today, they'll have 35 minutes before the start of the game to get in and, and, and get ready and prepared. So they've pushed batting practice back, so it doesn't allow that. Oftentimes you'll see, as, as we were talking before we went on, teams will do it prior to their own batting practice, take the infield early and make sure that they have all their outfielders throw to the bases. Um, the coaching is a little bit different too. Uh, as an example, during our batting practice, Rhino will hit all the outfielders, grounders, and they'll throw to the bases during the time we're taking batting practice. So the goals are accomplished. Um, it's just not in that formal format anymore. Well, I could talk baseball with you all day long. I appreciate the it. The greatness of Carson City, Thanks. UNLV. Great to see you. And you're a great player and a great coach. Thank you so much for the time. You got it anytime, man. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.